Please be seated. You can turn your Bible to Matthew chapter 6. We'll look at verses 19 through 24 this morning. The text is also printed on the next page of the bulletin for you. We're starting a new series this morning. Um, still not quite sure how many weeks we're going to take in it. Three, four, five, somewhere in there. Uh, so short, relatively short uh, topical series um, on treasure. Treasure. And I think at this point I'm supposed to give a disclaimer that we don't always talk about money here. Uh, that's what I'm tempted to do anyway, is give that disclaimer. I'm supposed to put you at ease about that, right? We don't always talk about money here. I'm, a, I'm supposed to assure you that it's not so bad. Uh, you don't have to feel uncomfortable when you show up to church. Um, while it might be true that we're actually not asking you for money all the time, uh, we're not trying to find new ways to inspire and encourage you to give, uh, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about money, if we didn't talk about wealth and treasure. And in fact, I think we do talk about it somewhat frequently, even though we've never had a series like this before. Um, it might be an uncomfortable topic for whatever reason, plenty of reasons why talking about money would be uncomfortable, uh, <clears throat> but it certainly was something that Jesus talked about a lot in terms of uncomfortable topics that Jesus addressed, it pretty much was just hell and money all the time. <laughs> hell and money all the time. Read through the Gospels. Um, <clears throat> maybe not in the ways that you'd be uh, inclined to think, though. He probably doesn't talk about those things the way that you would think that he would talk about those things. So <clears throat> we're just going to take a few weeks to talk about our treasure in light of what Jesus and the apostles and the prophets had to say about it, um, which is plenty. And if that seems unpleasant to you, then that's perfect. You're in the right place. So let me pray, then we'll read the scripture. <clears throat> Father, we need your help as we consider your word. We are um, prone not to receive it, actually, because of what it says and because of the things it says about us that we don't want to know about ourselves. And um, so we pray that your spirit would help us, that you would assure us of your love for us, that you would assure us that when you speak to us, it really is for our good, even if it might be painful for the moment. And we pray that in doing so, in speaking to us, you would um, reveal yourself to us, that you would come and meet us for a relationship, and that you would change us into the likeness of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Jesus said, do not, lay up treasures, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy... Your whole body will be full of light, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, O Christ. <clears throat> so um, these might be familiar words to you. Um, maybe it's not so uncomfortable, but I think it is pretty common for people to squirm and fidget a little bit when uh, it comes to the topic of money. Have you ever wondered why that is? 
Money is just something you don't really talk about. You don't ask your friend how much they make, and they're not supposed to ask you, and, you know, it's always awkward to show up at a church when they're talking about money. Why is it uncomfortable for us to talk about money? I heard a radio ad for some bank, some financial services, and this is a quote at the beginning of a bulletin for you, that says, I would, I would sooner talk about what goes on in my bedroom than in my bank account. Um, why is money such a private matter? It actually might be a more private matter in, in our culture, uh, what happens in our bank account, than what, even what happens in our bedroom. Why is it such a private matter? Jesus indicates that it's so precious to us. That's why it's a private matter. It's because it's so dear to us. He calls it treasure, which is a bigger category than just money. Treasure is what you value. Treasure is what you delight in. Treasure is what you invest yourself in. It's what you pursue. It's what you're devoted to. It's not the same, there's not an equal sign between treasure and money. Treasure is a bigger category than money. And really the concept of treasures on earth, it goes beyond bigger uh, figures in the bank account or the money that you have stashed under your mattress or whatever. Uh, it's, it's anything in this world. It could be any created thing, even good things that you value above all else that is most precious to you. Right? So it could be your home, that thing that you're working years to save up money to put a down payment and finally you get your, your dream home and you're investing, you're, you're like a slave to that thing because you're working so hard all the time to ma- uh, maintain your home. It could be your car, uh, it could be television and entertainment, that kind of thing. It could be your family, that could be your treasure. Treasure is often synonymous with monetary wealth for good reason. Because if you get money, then your shot at getting anything that you really want is improved. If you can get the money, then maybe you can get what you really want. So treasure often is synonymous with monetary wealth. The World Happiness Report is this report that's come out for a few years, I guess, uh, where they take all the nations in the world and they rank them according to various factors. Um, It kind of seems like the two main factors... um, are the, the gross domestic product per capita. So how much money our country makes divided over the citizens. So how much money basically everybody has there. And, um, and then the freedom to make personal choices. Freedom to make personal choices and your money. So the happiest people are the people who have enough money to do what they want. That's the way that the World Happiness Report would put it. And they've got Denmark up there at number one, and they've got Burundi down there at number 150-something, whatever it is. And if you ask the citizens of Burundi, uh, they'd tell you, we didn't know we weren't happy here. (laughs) Um, We were told we're the least happy nation in the world because of our GDP (laughs) and and, uh, other factors. But the happiest people have enough money to do what they want. That's the attitude that Jesus is addressing That's the attitude that he's addressing about our wealth. He's not just forbidding you to amass wealth for yourself, for selfish purposes. He is is doing that. You're not supposed to just make money for yourself. He's saying it's a deep problem with your heart. He's saying that um, it's a deep problem with what you want, with what you believe that you can get 
from these earthly treasures. That's the problem that he's addressing. He says, do not set your heart on earthly, temporal, created things as if they were ultimate things. Don't value them supremely. Don't set your heart on them as if they were the true ground of your happiness and your security and your hope and your life. And now, now that we understand that, that's what he's saying, it becomes clearer why it's such a difficult conversation for us. It's a difficult conversation because it's a matter of my heart and my soul being fixed on something. And we can't really bear the exposure, the scrutiny, when the naked truth is we've given our hearts to earthly wealth. Can't really bear it. We've sought it and we've served it as if it were a God. That's, that's what Jesus is talking about. It's unbearable to know about ourselves that our lives, individually, my life, and then also corporately as a society, as a culture, that our lives are warped and bent entirely around such a puny God. It hurts to know that about ourselves, why we don't talk about it. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, Jesus says. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So we are, most of us, at least abashedly devoted to our earthly treasures, um, because we, ex- we, we suspect that if, if we examine those treasures too closely, they're going to disappoint us. If we pay too much attention to what it is we've given our hearts to, that's going to be embarrassing. So we don't think about it. We don't talk about it. Right? Moth and rust eat up our earthly treasures. That's how puny they are. Moth and rust eat our treasures. Thieves can break in and take them away from us. Nothing in this world lasts Uh, All of it is fading. Everything that is created, everything that's created is contingent. None of it has being in itself. None of it stands on its own, in its own being. Everything created is contingent, so nothing can be the ultimate foundation for, for our real happiness, for our real security. The pleasures given by wealth are fleeting, and the rich know this. It surprises us every time to discover a rich person who says, yeah, all my riches don't make me happy, but they say it every time. The pleasures of wealth are fleeting. The security promised by wealth is unfulfilling. You'd never seem to have quite enough in the bank. You could have a lot in the bank compared to 99% of the people on the planet. And it's never quite enough. Not quite secure enough yet, are we? The, The hope offered by wealth is slim. It's really unattainable. So we imagine earthly treasures will provide for all of our needs. They'll grant all our desires. And we keep imagining that even though they constantly let us down. Once somebody says it out loud, we acknowledge, yeah, yeah. Those things don't, they don't last. They don't fulfill. They don't deliver. They don't keep their promises. But still, we go on imagining that they would, that they will, that they do. And what sort of people throw themselves after such disappointing things? What, what kind of people do that? They're called slaves. 
That's the language Jesus uses. Your treasure owns you, he says. Your, your treasure, that thing that you value most, the thing that you would give your life for, that you would invest everything you've got in, it owns you. Your treasure owns you, and you reorder everything in your life around it. It's like those, uh, those cigarette commercials that try to get you to stop smoking cigarettes where the guy's playing the drums and his cigarette turns out to be a little guy that basically controls his life and, and ruins his relationships and drags him outside at his own will. Like you're, you're enslaved to that little stick, right? That little cigarette. It controls your life. You reorder everything around it. Everything in your life changes for that thing. It's, it's like that. We're slaves to our wealth. Our, our treasures own us. Jesus says that mammon is a slave driver and you are under its whip. Mammon is that kind of old word for the, the god of wealth, right? Money personified. Um, mammon, Jesus says, mammon promised freedom, but you're in bondage in its service. Mammon promised pleasure, but has rewarded you instead with misery and despair, hopelessness. That's what mammon is. That's what mammon does. And that's the relationship you have with it, right? Your treasures own you. Um, Suze Orman saw this on like OPB, the lady who, she's like a personal finance, finance guru. That's what it says on her website, personal finance guru, TV personality, speaks in front of crowds and talks about money and gives, I, I think it's kind of self-help about how to make money and stuff like that. She says, you're your relationship with money is as vital as your relationship with another person. <clears throat> That's rough. That's bad. Your relationship with wealth, your relationship with money is as vital as your relationship with another person. Jesus would say, yeah, you have a personal relationship with your money. And that's not the way it's supposed to be. That's not the way it's supposed to be. Yes, you look for vitality in that relationship with your earthly treasures. But you're meant to look to God alone for such vitality. So when you have a personal relationship with your earthly treasures, when you set your heart on them and seek them, it's kind of, and, and, and serve them, then you've got yourself what the Bible calls an idol. That's a false god, right? False god, an idol. <clears throat> and uh, Sarah read in our Old Testament reading from Psalm 115, Idols are silver and gold. They're talking about uh, what you make out of silver and gold, the little statues. And maybe it's not just a little statue for us, but it, it's the same kind of thing. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but they don't speak. They have eyes, they don't see. They have ears, they do not hear. Noses do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but do not walk. They don't make a sound in their throat. They're entirely dead. These idols are entirely dead, lifeless. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. So when you've made earthly treasures your God, you've, you've, you've trusted in them for life, you've pursued them as the, the, the thing of supreme value in your life, you've invested everything, you've reordered everything around them, then you become like them. Maybe you're really pretty and shiny, but but superficial, two-dimensional, dehumanized, having no true life in you. 
when you give yourself to this kind of God. Because your treasure, the thing that you're worshiping, is cold and distant and impersonal. And those who worship such things become like them. Jesus said in verse 22 of our passage that the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? It can be kind of a confusing uh, a couple of verses, maybe hard for us. to. It doesn't seem like it fits in the passage, kind of bookended by Jesus talking about wealth and treasure. But the healthy eye means it basically, it's just like the healthy eye means it's good. You're, you're able to see and light comes in and so your, your body functions according to what you see. And if your eye is bad, you're like stumbling around in the dark. And, um, and so to fix the eye, to look, to, to see, to fix the eye, to seek, and, uh, and to set the heart on something, they're kind of synonymous. That's, I think, the way Jesus is using this kind of language. Um, Joe Pope pointed out, yesterday at our men's breakfast, which we had a great conversation, he said that um, advertising, there's billions spent each year on just getting you to look at stuff, getting you to set your eyes on stuff, because that's how we function. And we, we just look, we just gaze, we set our sights on the things that are most precious to us. <clears throat> and um, so when you've set your sights on earthly treasures, Jesus says your whole body will be full of great darkness. If that's what you're looking at, and that's what you're, you're looking to give you life, there's only death there. Right? You'll just be an empty shell of a person trapped in the service of an evil lying master that promised you salvation but instead gave you slavery. Jesus said, really, it ought to be a no-brainer which treasure to store up then. Not the earthly ones, the heavenly ones. It ought to be a no-brainer, but the sensible command isn't enough. We actually need a new master, a new living God, a new master who will come in and deliver us from the old master because even though we know that the old master is evil and unfulfilling, there's still this siren song that's attracting us and pulling us and luring us back. So we need new hearts, hearts that are not automatically set on earthly treasures, hearts, hearts that consider precious the one true God. We need a new and compelling vision, a new focus, something to set our sights on, a new ambition, a sight of heavenly treasures in Christ that will be captivating, that will be captivating. We need Jesus to break mammon's grip on us, to set us free, and that's how he comes to us. Did Mammon come into the world to show us what the glories of life in his kingdom would be like? No. Jesus, the one true living God, he came into the world. He didn't come into the world to condemn the world. It's what we suspect that he did. We just imagine he, if God's coming, he's going to condemn us. But he didn't come to condemn us. He came to save us. The true Lord brooks no rivals for our good. But he doesn't, he doesn't frown at you. He doesn't scold and wag his finger at you. He has tender mercy on you in your misery. 
That's how you should read this passage and pretty much everything Jesus always says as him having mercy and compassion on people like you. Um, I should just stop apologizing for quoting from Lord of the Rings. Uh, It's just going to be regular. You should get used to it. Um, There's this scene in... uh, in the movies, anyway, I can't remember how the book, books go, but after, the, um, after this great battle in Saruman, his, his white tower is overthrown, and you've got the Ents there, and they're kind of cleaning up the place, and Saruman's locked up in his tower. He's kind of unassailable up there. He's, he's, uh, he's safe from his enemies. Uh, and, and the good guys come by. They come riding in on their horses, and so you've got Saruman and his henchmen, Grima Wormtongue up on the top of the tower, and you've got uh, kings and the wizard and the hobbits and dwarves and elves and all these people. These good, the good guys are down here below, and um, and they're addressing the evil wizard, Saruman, whose specialty is the clouding of minds. His specialty is the clouding of minds, and Gandalf, the good wizard, he warns, be careful, even in defeat. Saruman is dangerous. Even though he's already been defeated, he still has this power to cloud your minds. So be careful. Right? Um, so Theoden, in this interaction, Theoden is one of the kings. He calls up to Saruman's henchman, Grima, Wormtongue. And he says to this guy who, um, who basically had enslaved him, <laughs> for months, maybe years, um, come down, come away, be free of him. Theoden calls out to Grima Wormtongue, he's this bad guy uh, who's under the spell of the evil wizard. He says, come away, be free of him. He says it with compassion. He says it with tenderness. He says it with pity. And he says it, as he says it, he's offering new hope. Grima Wormtongue really can be free of Saruman, the evil wizard who clouds people's minds. Jesus came in the same way to deliver us from false gods, from slavery to idols that we're just not so clear about because these things have clouded our minds. He came to be our true master and our our true Lord. He really sets us free. He promises real freedom to us. He gives us real hope. He gives us real life. He gives us eternal life characterized by true joy, not the empty promises that are given by earthly treasures He promises real joy that lasts forever. He promises us real security in a relationship with God. He shows us what God really is like. He shows us that God is a father who says to his son, you're my treasure. You are my treasure. You're my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. I delight in you. The father says to the son, this is what God's being is. Is a father delighting in his son as his treasure? So Jesus reveals God to us, and he opens the way to heaven through his sacrifice, through his life, through his death, through his resurrection on our behalf. He opens the way for us to be in relationship with this God. He opens the way to heaven for us. No earthly treasure ever died and rose from the grave for you. Jesus did. Earthly treasures call you to expend yourself to obtain them. Jesus came into the world, and he spent his life to obtain you and brought you into a relationship with God now where in Christ, God looks at you and he calls you his treasure. 
The same way that he looks at his son and says, you're my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. I delight in you. You are my treasure. Because of Jesus Christ, God says that to us. You are God's treasure. Now, he's in a relationship with us where he has made himself our slave. He's made himself our servant. He has set his sights on you. What did Jesus say? He came to seek and save the lost. He set his sights on you. He has sought you. He has served you. Because of who he is and because of what he's done, God now looks at you and says, you're my treasure. You own me. You own me. Because our treasures own us. God looks at you in Christ and says, you are my treasure. You own me. And now our life is hidden with Christ in God, and Christ is our life, and Christ himself is our treasure. Christ himself is our heavenly treasure, one where moth and rust can't destroy and thieves can't break in and steal because he's in heaven. Our life is secure. Our treasure is stored up. It is secure. We're his treasure. He's our treasure. He says that we own him, and he owns us. It's this mutual treasuring. It's this mutual possession that God, by his grace, enters into a relationship like that with us through Jesus Christ. That's what we know because of Christ. It says in Isaiah chapter 33 of God that he will be the stability of your times, the abundance of your salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is Zion's treasure. And Psalm 31 says, Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you. Paul, Paul said in Colossians 3, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Seek the the things that are above, where Christ is, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So heaven is the place, heaven is the place where we're supposed to lay up our treasures. Heaven is the place where Christ is in glory. That's what defines heaven. Heaven is what it is because Jesus Christ is there, because God is there. So heaven is the place where Christ is in glory. It's beyond the reach of any assault or any breaking and entering, beyond the reach of uh, any computer hack, beyond the, beyond the reach of any decay or disintegration or devaluing. And so invest yourself there. Fill your vision with him. Set your minds on him. Pursue him. Serve him. Pledge your allegiance to him. Make him your precious, your precious treasure. Jesus said in another place in Matthew chapter 13 that the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up and then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. This is the treasure that you should give up everything for. This is the treasure you should invest everything in. Reorder everything in your life around. 
this treasure, who is Christ in heaven. The treasure in heaven is the glory of a new world of righteousness. It's the glory of a new world in love. The glory of true persons in blessed communion. We're not just talking numbers in a heavenly bank, right? It's not exactly parallel to what we usually consider our treasures. We've got numbers in our earthly bank account. There's some kind of way in which we have numbers in a heavenly bank account. It's not like that. Our treasure in heaven is blessed communion of persons. Heaven, the, the treasure in heaven is the glory of deep joy. It's the glory of everlasting life in Jesus Christ. It's the glory of giving ourselves fully to one another. Not demanding people would serve my needs and my pleasures and my desires and my comforts and securities. It's me giving myself and us giving ourselves fully to one another. Not the, the faux glory of uh, amassing things for our own pleasures. The real treasure in heaven is is mutual self-gift. Laying up treasures there doesn't mean doing things here to earn a place there so that you know you have a place to go to someday. It's not salvation by works. Laying up treasures there, investing there means making Jesus Christ your heart's greatest treasure. That thing that you want most, the thing you value most. Jesus Christ himself who treasured you. It means getting your hearts off earthly treasures, making Jesus your true treasure, becoming more and more the kind of person that you will actually be in heaven one day, where all your loves are reordered and rightly set with Christ as the center of all of them. This means cultivating your own and others' delight in God now. Right? Laying up treasures in heaven means cultivating your delight in God and cultivating others' delight in God. It means cultivating your own and others supremely valuing the triune God above all else. It means cultivating your own and others vision and pursuit of Jesus Christ as he's offered to us in the gospel. As Jesus Christ increasingly fills your vision and becomes your ground for true happiness and ultimate security, then the, the chains of the old master will be broken. Chains of the old master who said, Give up everything for me. Sacrifice your family for me. Sacrifice everything for me and I'll give you something good. That's what the old master said. Our new master said, if we own each other, then you won't have to give up your family. You'll be better to your family. You'll be a better person in all of your relationships. Your life will be renewed in every way if Jesus Christ is your true treasure and he's your true master. You'll be able to hold your earthly treasures more lightly, more loosely. You'll be able to use them better, more wisely. Not as false gods, but as gifts to be received and given again. Earthly prosperity will become laughable. It won't be so serious. Compared to your treasures in heaven, they're not serious, earthly treasures. They'll become expendable for the sake of Christ's kingdom. You'll give your money away as a way of saying to those old gods, you have no power over me. I don't believe your promises anymore. I have better promises guaranteed by a better master now. And he is worth my giving up everything, including you, mammon. <laughs> Laying up treasure in heaven means service 
to Christ and the gospel, it means, it means temporal actions that have eternal consequences. It means taking everything that you have in the here and now and investing it, devoting it to the there and then. It means expending yourself for the sake of others. It means doing things like evangelism, mercy ministry. It doesn't just mean giving up your money. Everything you've got. You're spending yourself. You're selling all that you have to pursue that that great treasure, to buy that great pearl. It means investing in your relationship to God in Christ, which Jesus says you can do as you feed the hungry. As you welcome the stranger and clothe the naked and visit the sick and visit the prisoner, Jesus says, if you're doing that, you're doing it to me. You're investing in your relationship with me. Give alms to meet needs as they arise in our church and in our community. And as you do, you will, you will feed and you will welcome and you will clothe and visit and give alms to Jesus Christ himself. That's the only wise investment you can make, so you should make it. Make Christ your treasure and seek and serve him. Amen. Let's pray. Father, it's beyond us that you would call people like us your own treasured possession, yet you've done exactly that, and you've given your son, who truly is your treasured possession, your beloved, your only son. You gave him for us so that we could be in this kind of a relationship with you, this, this relationship that baffles us, a relationship of mutual ownership, mutual treasuring and delighting. We don't deserve that, and it's hard for us to believe that. We pray that you would encourage us with your great love, with the good news of Jesus Christ in a way that changes us, that wrenches our hearts away from those false gods, that sets our sights on you, because you alone are worthy to be pursued as the greatest treasure in our lives. And in doing so, we pray that you would restore all of our relationships, everything that's been broken in the world because we've pursued these false gods and given ourselves... uh, and laid up earthly treasures, everything that's broken because of our hearts being set on the wrong things and enslaved to the wrong things, we pray that you would begin to restore those, those relationships now as we set our hearts on Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.